Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15, and you are not having deja vu. We did preach out of that chapter this morning. With the Lord's help, we're going to spend a few moments there tonight as well. While you find your place there, I want to give you some counsel. Uh, and uh, Miss Diane's poem made me think of this, and I've just found this to be a truth in life. I mean, this is just a constant in life, and that is the more expensive the bread you buy, the worse it's going to taste. I don't know why that is. The more healthy it is, as a general rule, the worse it's going to taste. And me, me and Brother Stephen was having a discussion about this the other day. And I, the, it, you say, Preacher, what kind of bread do you like? I like the cheapest, most unhealthy bread that you can get. I want my bread to be white bread. I want to be able to taste the bleach that they bleach the, the flour with. That's, yeah, that's exactly right, you know? And, uh, so that, that's, that, that's just a truth. It's going to save you some money and some time and some disappointment and heartache in life. Because when you do like Diane did and you go and you say, well, I want to be healthy and I'm going to get this, this bread that is 85% bird seed, uh, then you're going to be disappointed when you bite into it and it tastes like bird seed. Amen. And, uh, instead what you want is you want to get the cheapest, most bad for you bread that you can possibly get. The only time I will buy bread that is not white bread is if it is potato bread or if it is butter bread, or if they have bread that has some kind of cheese in it. Amen? And so, again, following that theme, that's not deviating, that's right in line. Those breads are worse for you than the white bread. Amen? So the worse it is for you, the better it will taste. Second Samuel chapter number 15 tonight. I'd like to take a few moments of your time and preach to you about a man by the name of Zadok, the high priest. And uh, we started sort of preaching in this line of, of, of thinking a couple weeks ago, and then... The Lord's not let us come back to it until tonight, but I believe the Lord's going to help us through His Word as we examine this thought uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Now, we are just a few verses past where we preach this morning. Absalom has wrestled the throne away from his father David. David's the rightful king, and Absalom's taken the throne. And the king has been exiled, and he has left and is leaving the kingdom. And I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 23. The Bible says, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Lo, Zadok also, and all the Levites were with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. The king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I, let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. The king said also unto Zadok the priest, Art not thou a seer? Return into the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. Zadok, therefore, and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for working in our hearts, our lives, Lord, and blessing. Even before we went up to preach, Lord, you was moving and stirring. And what a reminder it is that it ain't us that, that's needed this morning and this evening, Lord. It's you and your presence. And so, Father, we seek once again that you'd have your will and way, speak to each heart according to that which would magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus, for it's in His name that we ask all these things in Christ's name. 
Amen. I'd remind you that a couple weeks ago we made a few opening statements about this passage of Scripture to frame the context of it. Uh, If you were here this morning in particular, you heard a little bit of preaching about some of the things that led up to this moment in the nation of Israel. But basically there are three conditions that set the stage for this story in Israel's history. The first that we said is that the rightful king, King David, has been rejected by the children of Israel. Verse number 14 of this chapter, the Bible says, David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Absalom is David's son. We read about that conspiracy this morning, how he stole the hearts of the children of Israel. David says, Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Down in verse 17, the Bible says, The king went forth, all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. Now David's the rightful king over Israel, but he is not the ruling king over Israel. He has been displaced by a pretender. And he has now had to flee because the people have rejected him. Can I remind you of this? Hey, there is a rightful king over all creation. And he is the creator himself. Bible tells us in uh, the book of Colossians that all things were made by Him and for Him. Without Him, it was nothing uh, made that is made. And the reason God did it this way is that in all things, Christ might have the preeminence. Hey, all power and glory is delivered up unto Him. The Bible calls Him the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the rightful King, but He is a rejected King. This world hates Him, it despises Him, does not recognize His authority. In fact, whenever the Jews very symbolically had the opportunity uh, to uh, express allegiance and pledge fealty to the Lord Jesus, and you say, well, you know, it's wicked that they did that. Hey, they're just speaking the words that echo in the human heart. That's all they was doing. They were saying exactly what uh, not only every Jewish heart that's unregenerate would say, but what every Gentile unregenerate heart would say. Uh, whenever Ke- uh, the, the Pilate brought him out and said, Hey, shall I crucify your king? They said, uh, We have no king but Caesar. Uh, they echoed the spirit and sentiment of the uh, wicked uh, landholders that are described in the parable that Christ tells the, the workers, the servants that said, We will not have this man to rule over us. All they did was sort of put into succinct words uh, the spirit and disposition of this world that we live in. This world does not recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus. Anytime that a worldly system or a worldly movement feigns loyalty to the Lord Jesus, you ought to set up and pay extra close attention. They're trying to pull the wool over your eyes. So the rightful king is rejected. But then in light of that, we learn that a rebel king is ruling. Back in verse 13, the Bible says there came a messenger to David saying the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Now Absalom is not the rightful king. And the reason he is not the rightful king is because he is a rebel king. Uh, Maybe one day he would have ascended the throne. We'll never know because he chose to try to displace the king, uh, try to kick him off the throne and by force take his throne from him. And that reminds me of exactly what the devil's done in this world. There was a time when the devil was vested in honor and majesty and glory and dignity. The Bible describes it to us how that he was the, the chief of, of all the angels, that he uh, held a special place and position in the hierarchy that God had created amongst the angels, but not content, not satisfied with that. He said, I will arise and I will ascend and I will be like the Most High. He said, I'm going to kick God off His throne. Now in this day that we're living in, he holds sway, he holds authority, he holds influence in this world. 
And so it's a time when the rightful king is rejected. But it's a time when the rebel king is ruling, just as the devil is the god of this world and rules and controls in this world. But i got news for you. I've read a little further. That's one of the benefits of having the whole book. Amen? One of the blessed things, having the whole book. Amen? I, every once in a while, every few years, they'll come out saying they found some hidden book in the Bible. No, I'm sorry, I've done read the whole Bible. I've done read the back, and uh, God even says He'll curse a man that tries to take away or add thereto. He wants us to know that we've got the whole book. And we read a little further uh, in uh, Absalom's story, we we learn what happens. The Bible says in Second Samuel 19, verse 15, So the king returned and came to Jordan. The king returned. And came to Jordan. And likewise, when you read all the way, hey, listen, that the end of the book of Revelation don't wind up with the devil on the throne. Winds up with him in the lake of fire. But it winds up with Jesus upon the throne. Uh, the Bible's abundantly clear that the very next event on God's prophetic calendar is the second coming, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, then there'll be a seven-year tribulation period and then Christ will come in power and in glory. I got news for you. The King's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. You know, we're getting ready to do this Apollo's course, and I'm excited about it. I, I love teaching Apollo's course. And I've not mentioned yet what the theme. I mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. We're teaching through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, but the theme of it's going to be this, being a second coming church. Being a second coming church. You see, real belief in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ should inform and change the way we live in this world. We find when we read this story about uh, Absalom and about David, the rightful king is rejected, a rebel king is ruling, but the rejected king is returning. He's coming back to take his throne and his kingdom back once again. How would that change and inform the way people live? Now, one might think with a change in the guard, there'd be a complete flip over of loyalty, that there'd be nobody left that still loved King David. But we learn reading in our text that that's not the case. Though the king was in exile, we learn he still did have servants. The Bible says in verse 15, the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. I know we can look around this world and it feels as though there's no one left serving God. The devil has a vested interest in making us think we are the only people left. He did this to Elijah, didn't he? He got him alone in a cave with his face wrapped in a mantle and said, you're the only one. Hey, it's easy to feel like you're the only one when you're sitting in a cave by yourself with your face wrapped in the mantle. That's part of the problem in modern day Christianity is we want to climb in the cave, wrap our face in the mantle and pout and sulk about how wicked this world is. If we do that, it ain't hard for the devil to convince us we're the only ones left. But hey, step outside of the cave, you'll find there's 7,000 ain't bowed the knee. You'll find there's still people that love God, that serve God. I know how wicked this world is. But hey, I know how faithful our God is. And I know there's still people that love the Lord and serve God. What do we learn reading just that one verse? Well, we see this, that for these servants, in their heart, in their mind, number one, their station was unchanged. Uh, the king's servant said unto the king, they're still called the king's servants. They said he may be rejected, he may be exiled, but he is still our king. We're still serving him. It was funny back, uh, you know, after President Trump was elected, you had all these people come out. They'd say, not my president. That's what they'd say, not my president. And I always laughed about that because that's that's disconnected from reality. Whether you like it or not, he was your president. Just like, by the way, Joe Biden, you may not vote it for him. You may not like it. You may not think he legitimately belongs there. But like it or not, if somebody was to call the phone of the president of the United States, that's the phone that would ring. And presumably, he might answer 
So yeah, Joe Biden is my, my president. That doesn't mean I like him. Doesn't mean I voted for him. And I'll tell you right now, I didn't vote for him. I'm not sure if anyone did, but I, I'll tell you that, that like it or not, I'm an American citizen. He is the president of the United States. And it's funny because whenever President Trump was elected, people say, well, not my president, not my president. And all, all conservatives, they all lost your mind. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, don't you, didn't you take a civics class? And then as soon as Joe Biden got elected, they all said, not my president. <laughs> Can I say this? Hey, listen, our king may be rejected. But he's still my king. He's still my king. The world may hate him, but he's still their king. Like it or not, he's still the king. His authority does not change. And so these servants, in their mind, their station was unchanged. Number two, their steadfastness was unwavering. They said, behold, thy servants are ready. We're ready. Man, I don't care what changes, we're ready. Right now, in this moment, we're ready to serve the Lord. God help you and I to be that way. To say no matter what happens, no matter what changes, I'm ready. I can't make other people get ready, but I can be ready. I can't make other people stay ready, but I can be ready. I see that their steadfastness was unwavering, but then I see their service was unconditional. They said to do whatsoever, my Lord, the King shall appoint. Anything, whatever you ask, because you're the King and I'm your subject, I'll do it no matter what. So there are still some people that love the King, that serve the King. And when we go through the next few chapters, we find almost a sort of biblical catalog, almost like a like, like a, 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 a survey of these individuals where God is pointing to how certain people responded to the exile of the king. We've been preaching, calling this series, The King is Coming Back. And I would just ask you this, how does that truth inform how we live? A couple weeks ago, we uh, talked about a man named Idai the Gittite and how that he was faithful to follow the Lord. Instead of saying, well, my king is leaving, so I can be at a distance, I can dwell at a distance, he said, no, it is more important now than ever that I follow close to my king. In our text tonight, we are next introduced to a man by the name of Zadok the priest. He and another man named Abiathar are the high priests over the land. And we're told that uh, his sort of uh, introduction into this scene, his sort of stepping into the narrative before us, is when all the people are leaving and departing the city of Jerusalem, he comes marching with him and Abiathar, the other high priest, and all the Levites instead, and they're carrying the ark of God. And they have every intention of taking the ark of God and walking out of the city and following King David wherever he might go. What does David say about that? And what can we learn about this? Zadok is a close friend. He is a constant supporter of King David. He is the high priest. He is the bearer of the presence of God for the nation. He desires to go with the king. But instead the king says, I want you to stay back and I want you to serve God where you're at. You know, it's interesting. The name Zadok means righteous or just. And we could maybe summarize Zadok's life or his commission in this phrase, Zadok is a man who is powerful through his presence. Now, if the Lord allows us to and tarries his coming, we'll look at another man named Hushai who conquers through counsel. But I'd like for you to notice that there's not much of anything really that David requires or asks of Zadok other than that he goes back. But the thing that he reveals to us is that a man like Zadok who loved God and knew God and served God just by being present in that place could make a difference for those around him. I want you to notice three profound truths in this passage and we'll be done this evening. First, let me say a word about the desire of Zadok. 
The Bible says in verse number 23 that all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now, did you notice the Holy Ghost says it several times. People was leaving. They was heading out. They was walking off. They said, we'll not, we'll not uh, serve under this false king. We'll not stay in this openly hostile place. And the Bible says that, lo, Zadok also, all the Levites were with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. The desire of Zadok, we could say very simply, was he wanted to leave. He wanted to be where his king was. He didn't want to stay in this kingdom with this man that was hostile towards the things of God and this man that hated even his own father. Absalom hated uh, the, the, the rightful king. He didn't want to stay in this wicked and godless place. And by the way, if you read uh, the short insurrection that takes place, if you read how Absalom comported himself and behaved, he was a wicked man. He behaved wickedly in the absence of the king. And Zadok has a very understandable response. He says, David, I know that you know God. I know that you love God. I know that you revere God. And I just want to be where God is valued. I don't want to stay in this wicked kingdom where nobody loves God or cares about God. How many of you have found yourself in these days that we're living in often thinking to yourself, boy, it's getting harder and harder to stay. How many of you find yourself getting homesick? And I'm not talking about where your bed is. I'm not talking about where your refrigerator is. I'm not talking about where your address is. But I'm talking about a heavenly home. And saying, boy, how weary it is to live in this world where God is hated, where God is despised, where God is loathed, where He is, uh, where He is scandalized and scorned uh, and maligned and, uh, and treated poorly. Boy, wouldn't it just be better to just be able to go home and be where the rightful King is revered and glorified? Let me say that Zadok's desire was the same. He just wanted to be where his king was. And of course, anybody would want to be where their king is. In fact, I'd say this. When we read this passage, the first thing we notice is this was a natural desire. A natural desire. The Holy Ghost emphasizes it in verse 23. It says all the country wept with a loud voice. Then it says all the people passed over. Then it says the king also himself passed over. Then it says all the people passed over. And then it says in verse 24, Lo, Zadok also. Isn't it interesting the Holy Ghost says also. It's almost like he's saying, hey, everybody was leaving. And so because everybody was leaving, Zadok wanted to leave too. It was only natural. We see people weeping uh, in this scene, crying in, in heartbreak and in angst because uh, they see their king being treated this poorly and they just want him to be revered and seen for the glorious king that he is. Their heart is broken at the direction that their nation is going and they just want David to be seen as being the legitimate, authoritative, rightful king. It is only natural that his servants would want to follow him wherever he went. Let me say that your desire and mine, and I, I'm careful, I'm using the term natural loosely, because in many ways it's not natural, it's supernatural. I understand that, it's not our pledge. But I'm saying it is understandable that you and I as a child of God would want to be where God is. Hey, the disciples over and over again, in the uh, Gospels, uh, they, they, they communicated a desire to be where the Lord Jesus was. Over and over again, they would say, wherever you go, we're going to go. Wherever you go, we're going to follow you. That's where we want to be. I would say that in the day that we're living in, it's, it's natural to want to not have to live in this wicked world. It's natural. I, I'll just be honest with you. I'm disgusted with the God-hating. I'm, I'm wearied. I'm wearied by the glorifying of sin. I, I, I'm wearied when every time you turn on the television, every time you look on the news, every time uh, that you uh, go out in public, it seems like the more wretched, the more wicked, the more depraved, the more it is applauded. 
And I would say this, why would a child of God feel at home in this world? We shouldn't feel at home. If we feel at home, something's wrong in our life. It was a natural desire. I'd say this, we look at verse 24 and we learn it was a noble desire. The Bible says they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. Now you might wonder to yourself, why did they set down the ark of God? Well, it's very simple. The ark of God was viewed as, as imparting to the people of God, God's protection. And as they're leaving the city, they take the ark of God and set it down because they want to see everybody conveyed over the brook and protected. In other words, they viewed this as a service they were performing for the children of Israel. In their mind, this was a noble desire. And I would say this, that there is a sense in which we could say the desire to leave and be with our king is a noble desire. Uh, it's not only natural, it, it, it's a noble thing. I mean, it is a, it is a wonderful thing that we want to be where he's at. <laughs> Uh, we ought to be uncomfortable in this world. We ought to be miserable with the way that wickedness is applauded and lauded and promoted uh, and, and glorified in this world. It's not a wrong thing that we chafe under the conditions of this world that we are living in. There is a pretender on the throne. The devil is ruling and, and wickedness is, is, is prevalent. And it's probably a good thing that we are so uncomfortable living in this world. It's a noble thing. I'm not criticizing you and I for being uncomfortable in this world. I'm not criticizing you and I for having a desire to go home and be with the Lord. Paul expressed this. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, he says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. You know what he's talking about when he says this? He, he's rattling those prison chains. And he's saying, as long as I live, he's rattling them chains. This is the fruit of my labor. He's saying, as long as I live in this world, I have heartache, I have suffering, I have affliction, I have persecution. Then he says this, yet what I shall choose, I what not. Uh, by the way, let me just say this, child of God. The Apostle Paul said, hey, I may be tired of living, but that don't mean I'm going to try dying. He says, I may be tired of living, but that don't mean I'm going to try dying. You know why Paul said that? He said, it's not my place. And can I just say to you tonight, and I don't imagine there's anybody in this room that the, that serious thoughts of this are floating through your heart or in your head. But let me just say, you don't have the right, just like you don't have your the right to give life or the ability to give life, you don't have the right to take life either. Your own life. It's not your place. You don't get to choose that. I'm sorry. This is something society's lost sight of. Uh, that society thinks it can give life and thinks it can take life, but that's simply not true. God is the God of life and of death, and He and He alone gets to choose that. Paul, he says, this is all I have if I live in this. But he says, yet what I... Choose, I uh, shall choose, I wot not. He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But now I want you to notice this. It's not only a natural desire and a noble desire, but it was a nullified desire. The Bible says in our text, verse 25, the king said unto Zadok, carry back the ark of God into the city. In other words, as natural as it was, and as, I, as I'm sure flattered as David was, at, at, at the desire of Zadok and Abiathar to follow them, he said, I'm sorry, you don't get to follow me. As noble as that desire was, and, and, and I'm sure that he saw in it the compassion and care that they had for the people of God and, and that they only wanted to do what was best. He says, I'm sorry, I'll not let you follow me back. Can I finish what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1? He says this, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better but then he says this, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says this, I'm not going to make this choice because it's not my choice to make. 
We find this, that though Paul did not live many years beyond that, uh, Paul did eventually die a martyr's death. He died when God was ready for him to die. I'd say this, child of God, it's perfectly understandable that with our king being hated and loathed, despised and rejected, that we'd be sick of living in this world and we'd just want to go home and be where the Lord Jesus is magnified and, and glorified. And I'd even say, if you came to me tonight and said, Preacher, I'm perfectly content to live in this world, I'd probably say, well, you ought to check up. There's probably something wrong in your life. There's probably something wrong uh, in your in your relationship with the Lord. I'd say this, that we find that God distinctly, though He could have saved you and took you home to glory, He did not do that. He saved you and then He left you here with a distinct purpose. There is a nullified desire here. The the king says, I appreciate it, Zadok, but no, I want you to stay here. Notice the decree of the king. We find basically three things that David communicates about leaving him here. Number one, we notice what he wished to remain. Verse 25, the king said unto Zadok, carry back the ark of God into the city. So it was not necessarily Zadok himself that he wanted to go back. Zadok had to go back because it was his responsibility to bear the ark of God. But it wasn't necessarily that God said, Zadok, I don't want you with me. But rather it was that he said, Zadok, I want the ark of God to go back into the city. Why was that significant? Well, the ark of God was representative of the presence of God. It was a place where God met with the nation was in the ark of God. Think about this. Zadok is the man whose responsibility is to bear that ark. Say, preacher, what does that have to do with me in this day that we're living in? Well, could I remind you, the ark of God resided in the temple of God. The very expressive presence of God resided in the temple of God. The meeting place of God with the nation was within the temple of God. And you know what we're told in the New Testament? Uh, that you and I, what, know you not that you are bought with a price. Uh, you are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of God. In other words, you and I as believers, we've displaced a physical temple as being a seat and center of worship. Now, how does God manifest His presence in the world? He does so through born-again believers and through the church of the living God. He does that through your life and through my life. And beyond that, I would say this. That was the place where God met with the nation. Where is God meeting with the nation? He's meeting with the nation through the testimony and light of believers. He's doing so through us, through our life. I see what He wished to remain, but number two, I, I see what he wanted to find. Verse 25, listen to what he says, if I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, here's what he said, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. He sends Zadok back. He says, you're bearing the presence of God. You're needed back in the city. And he says, here's why I'm coming back one day. And when I come back, there's two things I want to find. Number one, he said, I want to find God's presence and testimony. He says, I want to find the ark of God. (laughs) I want to find that there's still some way to get a hold of God and hear from God and know the will and mind of God when I come back. I still want that there, present in that place. You know, the Bible, uh, the Lord Jesus asked this question, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? Uh, You know, part of the reason you and I are left here in this world uh, is to be a witness and bear testimony to the presence of God. Whenever the Lord Jesus comes back for His bride, and I believe He's coming back for His bride, I believe He's coming back for the New Testament church, I believe the very next thing on the calendar of God is uh, the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to rapture out the church. You know what He wants to find? He wants to come back and find some folks that love God and live God in front of this wicked world. He wants to find a testimony of His own presence. Uh, listen, that was the very uh, thing that He bestowed upon the believers 
uh, before He uh, left this earth, He uh, bestowed upon them that comforter that should come, the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of believers. He gave them power from on high so that they could be witnesses unto Him in Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria. And He said this, listen, I go away, but I'll send another and He'll be present with you and He will speak of Me and He will testify of Me and He will bear witness of Me. He said, when I come back, I want to find the presence of God in this place. I want to find the testimony of God in this place. And Zadok, just by nature of doing what God had called him to do, would bear witness and bear testimony of the presence of God. I'd say number two, here's what he wanted to find. He said, "Shall show me both it and His habitation." He wanted to find God's presence and testimony. But number two, listen, he wanted to find God's place intact. He said, I want to come back. I still want there to be a temple. I still want there to be a group of people gathering to worship God and to serve God and that love God. When I come back, I want to know that God's been here the whole time and that there's a place where God's people can meet. Hey, listen, uh, you say, preacher, it'd be so much easier just to leave this world and all the wickedness of it. Yeah, I understand that. But what you need to understand is God wants when He returns, when He comes back, He ain't coming back just for you. He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for His bride that He loved, that He gave Himself for. And here's what He wants to find when He comes back. I understand uh, the direction that this world is going. I can read my Bible just like you can. I understand things ain't going better. Uh, they're going to get worse. I'm aware of that just like you are. But let me tell you what God would love to find. He'd love to find a faithful remnant of people still meeting, still loving God, still serving God. We might be having to meet like they did in the early New Testament church under threat of death, under threat of persecution, under threat of assault and, and hostility. But He said, when I come back, I want to find there's still a place where God's people are meeting where they're still worshiping, where they're still serving the king. That's what he wished to find. But then I want you to notice what he waited to hear. Verse 26, this is interesting to me. I think we can make application of this. The Bible says, but if he thus say, this is David speaking, he's talking about the Lord. He says, if he, if God thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I, let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. That's interesting. David says, I want to come back, but I don't know when or if I'll get to come back. I want to come back, but I don't know when or if I'll get to come back. Here's what he says. I'm waiting to hear from God whether I can come back. Now notice what he says down in verse 28. This is interesting. He says, see, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. He's talking to Zadok the priest. And here David says two different things that, by the way, seem to conflict. He says, I'm waiting to hear from God as to when I can come back. But then he says this, I'm waiting to hear from you as to when I can come back. How many of you know this to be true, that uh, the Word of God teaches us that no man knoweth the day, no man knoweth the hour that the Lord Jesus is coming back. Uh, the Bible says not even the Son knoweth the day or the hour when the Lord Jesus is coming back. And yet the Father in heaven, He knows. How many of you also know this, that uh, just as God uh, would not leave His darling son's soul uh, in corruption, He wouldn't leave him to suffer in hell. Likewise, those of us that have been positioned in Christ Jesus, He would not leave to suffer one moment longer than He had distinct purpose for. Say, preacher, what is it that Jesus is waiting on? He's waiting on the work of the testimony of the local New Testament church to be completed, to be consummated. As soon as the last sinner is saved, as soon as the last work is done, He'll call His bride home. In other words, we could say this, and I believe we'd be on good scriptural foundation, that the Son, He's waiting with an ear towards the Father, but with an eye on the church. 
And he's waiting to hear when the right time is to return for his bride. In other words, I would say this, there's a work to be carried out. And as soon as that work is completed, God will call us home. But until that work is completed, here's what he's doing. He's waiting for us to give word back to him. I see the decree of the king, but then I want you to notice I'll be done the design of the Lord. Look back at verse 25 with me. Now you might say, well, preacher, I can see what Zadok desired. I can see what he wanted. And then I can see why the king or what the king desired. I can see that he decreed to him that he did not want him uh, to uh, come back. But what was the plan in all this? What was the reason behind it? I would say this when we read this passage. We can see the design of the Lord in all these things. We can see what God's will and what God's plan was. What did God know that we sometimes don't? Look back at verse number 25. The Bible says this, The king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. The city. Verse 29, Zadok therefore and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem and they tarried there. You know what God knew? God knew that the city needed God's presence. Can I tell you this? This world, whether it recognizes it or not, it needs the presence of God. It needs the local New Testament church and it needs born again believers full of the Holy Ghost and yielded unto the will of God, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great many things that we are told all the time that this world needs, that it needs more money, uh, that it needs more investment, that it needs more compassion, that it needs more uh, social work and social services, and there's a million things that we're told are supposed to fix it. You know, man's, uh, man's solution is always throw more money at it. Throw more money at it. Throw more money at it. And by the way, let's take a little bit from you and put a little in my pocket in the process. But can I tell you what this world needs more than anything? This world needs people that love God, know God, live for God. These real Christians. That's what this world needs. The very fact if you'll yield to God and live for God and give your heart and life to God, hey, you don't have to have some grand plan. You don't have to have some vast skill set. Just give your heart and life to Christ and you'll make a difference. All you have to do is be what God made you to be in this world that hates Him and doesn't know Him. Hey, listen, light don't have to do nothing but shine when it's in the middle of darkness. It don't have to cast elaborate shadows. It doesn't have to do amazing tricks. It doesn't have to do great pyrotechnics. Uh, whenever there's darkness, all light has to do is shine. And for you and I, we listen, we, we say, well, preacher, I'm not some superstar. I don't have the talents that other people do. No, but he, hey, you're here. Live for the Lord. And in the darkness that we're living in, uh, you don't have to be some superstar. Hey, listen, uh, if you'll just live for the Lord uh, in this world that we're in, you'll make a difference. I see the city needed God's presence. Number two, the city needed a prophet. Verse number 27, the king said also unto Zadok the priest, Art not thou a seer? Return into the city in peace. Now this is an amazing question that David asked. What was the prophet's job? Prophets weren't given when things were righteous and peaceful. Prophets were given when things were rebellious and backslid. And there were times when a prophet might have served in a, a season of outward prosperity. And there are times when a, a prophet might have served in a season of external turmoil. But always without fail, they were given not when men were righteous, but when they were rebellious. And so here's Zadok. He's marching out of the city saying, hey... I'm done. I'm, I, I, I've done checked out. I'm not staying there through all this circus and through all this mayhem. I, I'm getting out while the getting's good. And it's like David sort of rebukes him a little bit and chides him a little bit. And he said, hey, I thought you was a prophet. Won't you go do some prophetying? I made that word up. That's all right. 
Why don't you go do exactly what God called you to do? He's saying, I, listen, I thought you was a prophet. Isn't this when you're supposed to shine? I, I, listen, I, I thought you was a prophet. Isn't this when you're supposed to be serving? You shouldn't be running away from this, Zadok. You should be running towards this. Now, this is, hey, this is when it matters. This is what God's called you to do. We have a great many theoretical Christians in this world who don't mind being the hypothetical example of what they believe a Christian ought to be. But in the moment that we are called upon to be what God has saved us to be, all of a sudden, we balk at it. Hey, listen, we don't mind bragging about Jesus when we're in a church house full of people that already know Him. But going out to people that hate Him and are hostile towards Him and sharing the gospel, that's loathe to us. I'd say this, God saved you for the one. He didn't save you for the other. Uh, listen, we ought to all testify the goodness of God, uh, but the gospel and the plan of God of redemption uh, is not as much contingent upon mankind praising Him in a group of people that already agree that He's precious. It's more contingent upon people preaching Him in a group of people that do not know Him. In other words, uh, he, he says this, this city needs a prophet. This city needs somebody that's going to tell the truth of God. It needs somebody that's going to stand up and be different in this wickedness and in this world. And he says, this is what God called you to, Zadok. I would say this, that we lament how dark this world is getting spiritually. But I would say that the darkness of this world spiritually is the very reason that God set a city on a hill in the first place. That's why God saved us. That's the purpose behind it. This city needed a prophet. And then finally, and I'm done. Look down to verse 27. Now this is, I don't want to say implied. God explains later exactly the significance of this. But in our text, look what it says, verse 27. David says, The king said also unto Zadok the priest, Art not thou a seer? Return into the city in peace. What are you running from? This is what your job is, Zadok. Go back and make a difference. And your two sons with you, Ahimeaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. Look down at verse number 31. Why did David mention Ahimeaz and Jonathan? Why did he mention these two boys, the sons, the children of Zadok and of Abiathar? Here's why. The Bible says this in chapter 15, verse 31. One told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him and with his coat rent and earth upon his head, unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. Now you see what has happened here. David has said they've got Ahithophel there to give counsel against me. But Hushai, I'm sending you and you're going to give counsel on my behalf. You're going to defend me and you're going to try to protect me. Hushai looks at him and says, that's all good, David. But how are we going to coordinate with one another? I want you to listen carefully. There's somebody, a group of people trying to serve God and make a difference in the king uh, kingdom under the rebel king. And then here is the rightful king and he can't be there. He's way over in the wilderness in another place. And they've got to find a way to communicate what's going on in Jerusalem to the exiled king. Here's David's solution. Notice what it says. Verse number 35. Hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abiathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that what thing soever thou shalt hear out of the king's house, 
Thou shalt tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. And behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them ye shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. We could simplify it this way. King says, I need word about what's going back in the city while I'm gone. And I need somebody to deliver that word. David says, Zadok, why don't you go back? Because you've got an entrance through your sons. You've got somebody that will go between where you're at and where I am and can tell me what's going on in that place so that I can give you counsel as to how to live and how to behave. Now, preacher, what does all that mean? Well, I'd say this in the same way. Hey, we're living in a time where our king, he is in exile. He is in another place. But guess what? He's still interested in what's going on down here. So he's bent his ear low and he wants us to talk to him and give him news about what's going on back where we're at so that he can give us wisdom and counsel and we know how to behave and conduct ourselves and live in this world. You know what that sort of sounds like? It sort of sounds like a prayer life to me. It sort of sounds like they're giving word back to the exiled king so that he can tell them how they ought to live and what they ought to do so that they can make a difference in the place that they're living. And it sort of reminds me of this, that we have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I know it's said in the negative there, but we can flip that around and say we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. You know what that means? We have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus, the Son of God, He's the high priest and apostle of our profession. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He ever liveth to make intercession for us and He's listening to what we have to say. You say, preacher, why would God leave me here? Because he, this city needs prayers. It needs people petitioning the throne of God and asking God to intervene and listening to the will and words and heart of God and acting and responding accordingly. Very fact, listen, you don't have to be some superstar. You just be what God saved you to be and live for the Lord. And you'll find this, that you can be powerful just through your very presence in the city. You know, the thing that made Zadok powerful wasn't his intrinsic awesomeness. Rather, it was his possession of the ark of God. That's what made the difference. What this world needs is not more of your personality or mine. What it needs is not a more robust expression of our personal opinions on everything. What this world needs is the presence of God displayed through the people of God and through the word and truth of God. That's what it needs more than anything. I understand. I'm tired of it. Just like you're tired of it. I'm tired of the wickedness. I'm tired that it always feels like the devil's winning. I'm tired that all manner of depravity is, is applauded by those that openly, uh, support it and is, and is apologized for and made excuses for by those, uh, that subliminally and subtly, uh, support it. And it seems like no matter what you do and no matter what fame changes or promise, things just get more wicked and more ungodly all the time. And I'm like you. I'm tired of it. And if I had my way, I'd love to just check out and give up on all of it. I just want to be where my king is. That's all. But if I'm his servant, I don't get to make that decision. And here's what he's done. He's left us here. He prayed to his father. And here's what he said. Lord, he said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you keep them from the world. Hey, he could have took them all home to glory the second that Calvary was over and the tomb was empty. But instead, he left them here to be a difference in this world that we're living in. And you and I have likewise been left here so that through our presence, we can make a difference. The question is, are we doing that? Are we making a difference through our presence? Or are we just living exactly like 
those that worship the false king, those that worship the rebel king, those that worship the pretender on the throne? Or are we choosing to live the life that Christ has called us to to make a difference in the world around us? Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I want you to challenge yourself with that question and ask yourself it honestly. Am I really living in a way that makes a difference? Or am I just blending in? Am I just trying to find the middle of the pack and float along and hope no one notices? What about you tonight, your life, the way you're living? What about me tonight, the way I'm living? For all of us, we should be challenging ourselves with these thoughts, with these truths, with these questions. And if you find that there's some area of your life that is not what it ought to be, hey, listen, God don't want to throw you away. He wants to make you what you ought to be. And He can do that tonight. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus.